and welcome to Non-Technical, where I, your host, Alexis Gay, interview influential folks from tech, media, business, and beyond about everything except their resumes. Today on the pod, a very exciting pod, or shall we say pause, we have Joe Posnanski, the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Baseball 100, though he's done a lot of other very impressive, super interesting things prior to that, which admittedly, I'm not going to ask him that much about. Joe, thank you so much for being here. Alexis, I could not tell you how excited I am to be here. Oh my gosh, the pleasure is all mine. Are you ready to dive in? I am ready. I don't know what's coming. I literally have no idea what's going to happen. I love it. I love it. This episode of Non-Technical is brought to you by me. I'm just a girl standing in front of a podcast audience asking you to sign up for my email list to stay tuned for upcoming stand-up shows and other exciting announcements. I promise to only email you when I have something important to say. Trust me, I don't want any extra email either. You can sign up now at bit.ly slash hello from Alexis. That's bit.ly slash hello from Alexis. Joe Posnanski is the number one New York Times bestselling author of six books, including Paterno, The Secret of Golf, and The Baseball 100, which came out September 28th. He has written for The Athletic, Sports Illustrated, NBC Sports, and the Kansas City Star, and currently writes at JoePosnanski.com. He has been named National Sports Writer of the Year by five different organizations and is the winner of two Emmy Awards. He co-hosts the podcast with television producer and writer Michael Schur. Joe lives in Charlotte, North Carolina with his family. Joe, once again, welcome to the pod. Oh, it's great to be here. Great to be here. That sounded impressive, by the way. It sounded like I'd actually accomplished something. Yeah, man. Even as I was reading it, I was like, damn, this guy really crushing it. (laughs) I'm so excited to have you. Our paths actually crossed in the professional realm, which was wonderful when I was working at Patreon. And we've since stayed in touch and become Twitter friends, which we love to see. It's a great thing. We had fun in your past life. So we we need to have fun in your current (laughs) life as well. Perfect. Could not agree more. And you are coming to us from Charlotte, North Carolina. What's the vibe in Charlotte? What's the weather like right now? I literally know nothing about Charlotte, North Carolina. <laughs> looks like we're going to get some rain. I'm looking okay. out the window here. It looks like we're going to get some rain. It's pretty mild here, generally speaking. Hot in the summer, mild the rest of the time. It's kind of boring weather, to be okay. perfectly honest. I understand. Yeah, I grew up in Cleveland. That's real weather. Cleveland. That's real weather. Cleveland. Yeah, <laughs> the real weather. When you know that you might get three feet of snow dumped on you at any yes. time, that's real weather for that's me. That's real weather. I like the idea of a billboard as you're driving into Cleveland. Cleveland. That's real weather, you know? <laughs> <laughs> We're so proud of it. We're so exactly. proud of our weather. Joe, let me start here. I'm curious, how did you spend your last day off? It's been a little while since I've had a day off. I would probably say that I spent my last day off going to the mall with my daughter. Was it a mall trip with it purpose or was it just, hey, let's go to the mall and look around? My younger daughter yes. is a junior in high school and that's a terrible year. It's just okay. like a dreadful... <laughs> I remember. <laughs> you remember, right? Oh, yeah. you're, but you remember much better than I do. You know, everybody's <laughs> like, ah, SAT scores and uh, this and uh, where are you going to college? And it's just a nightmare. And I think I just took her, like her favorite food in the world is the mall Chinese food. Like oh, that's really? like her favorite food. And yeah, she loves that. So I think it was like, took her 
get some mall Chinese food, and then wander about the mall. That's a nice day. That's also a nice way to forget all the stresses of junior year where you literally stopped being a child 10 minutes ago and suddenly everyone <laughs> yes. is like, okay, so now who are you as an adult? You need to decide. Yes. And it's like, what? I know. She says to me all the time, like, Dad, I don't know what I want to be. And I'm like, right. of course you don't. Uh, like, yeah, why in seriously. the world would you know? At 16, what you want to be. When you were 16, did you feel like you knew what you wanted? Oh, definitely not. No? I, I, I didn't. No, I, I didn't know ever. I never knew what I wanted to be. I just sort of lucked into this world. <laughs> I went to college to become an accountant. Oh, my God. I didn't know that. I went to college to become an accountant. And I tell the story all the time. It's it's 100% true. I was staying at home. I stayed with my parents when I was in college. We couldn't afford mm. anything else. And I was taking the city bus home from college one day. Yeah. And I was looking out the window and we passed a business park mm -hmm. and there were all of these people there dressed up in, you know, their business attire. They had their satchels, they're smoking and they were yes. talking about ledgers or whatever it is people <laughs> talk about at business parks. Sure. And I remember having like this out of body experience where I looked out the window and I just said, that's never going to be me. That's mm. never going to be my life where mm -hmm. I'm going to be one of these people. It's never going to happen. And that coincidentally was the day I had failed out of accounting. <gasps> so it worked out like perfectly oh God, well to, to have that moment. Yes. And I went home and I had a typewriter back in the days when typewriters existed. And I typed up a bunch of letters to a bunch of different people asking, uh, what, what can I do with my life? You have a cool job. I like, I remember right. I wrote to Bob Costas. Oh yeah. Yeah. At the time, the biggest, this still is one of the biggest sports announcers. And I just said, Bob, well, Mr. Costas, sure. <laughs> help me. Cause uh, you have a great job. You have an mm -hmm. awesome job. Can I have your job? And one of the people I wrote to was the sports editor of the Charlotte Observer, and he wrote back and said, if you want, we can send you out to a high school game to, to write about it for 20 bucks. Wow. And that's how it started. And so never knew what I wanted to do, never thought wow. I had any talents whatsoever. Do you think 16-year-old you would be surprised at where you are now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 16-year-old me would like be shocked, <laughs> just utterly shocked. 16-year-old me was pretty confident that I would end up working in a factory like my really? dad. Yeah, 16-year-old me was pretty unconfident about everything hmm. and honestly believed that I had no talent whatsoever, wow. none. I just imagine 16-year-old me walking around my office and seeing all the cool things yeah. and just feeling like, well, what what, what happened here? How and did hearing the, how did that bio, happen? can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> I still wake up as 16-year-old me sometimes and go, mm -hmm. when do they come in? When do the like logic police break yep. through the door and just yep. go, yeah, none of this is real. We, we were just playing with I you. I feel that way too. <laughs> well, have you ever been known as the something person, like whether in school or at work or in your personal life? I was kind of known as the sports geek person. Oh, yeah? Not as an athlete. Mm. Yeah, not as an athlete. I played. I wasn't great at anything. Sure. I haven't thought about this in years. But back in mm. high school, we had like a little group uh, of people that during lunch, we would go to the library and kind of sit around and just talk about sports. Oh, cool. Yeah, there were just like three or four of us, uh, usually sports geeks, that just would talk about what happened in football the day before or baseball or whatever yeah. it was. And so if anything, I was might have been known as as that. But I but honestly, I wasn't known. You know, I don't mm. I, I imagine you were known. You you yeah. just 
You, you come across. No, you come across. You're you're so cool. Oh my God. Joe, I haven't been cool a day in my life. Do you know how uncool it is to care as much as I do about things in high school and in middle school? Do you have any idea how uncool it is to be passionate about stuff when you're that age? Very uncool, okay? I've been this way Very my uncool. whole life. It's <laughs> great. We're here, you know, we're here. So you're a writer, so this is a an interesting question for you. Do you have a catchphrase or other words or phrases that you or even other people feel are specific to you? Like Ooh, something you say a lot? Like a catchphrase. Yeah. You mentioned that I do a podcast with yes. Mike Shore, who yes. is uh, the guy who uh, created Parks and Recreation and Brooklyn yes. Nine-Nine. Two of my all-time favorite sitcoms on the face of the planet. He's brought a lot of joy into the world. He has brought a lot of joy in the world. And he's a genius. He was writing for The Office when right, we became friends. Right, right. He's one of my best friends in the world. It's just really weird. But we always start the <laughs> podcast the same way. I always say, hi, welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. And Mike always says, thank you for having me, Joe. And even though we're co-hosting <laughs> the show. Podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this, this is how we've been doing That's it for so 10 years. Nice. So I do have people come up to me all the time and say, thank you for having me, Joe. That seems like mm. that has been a, a catchphrase that uh, that has come on. The only other catchphrase, actually, all of the catchphrases that, that would be connected to me, I think, would be through the podcast. Mm-hmm. Mike and I have had a, a long-standing 10-year, basically, argument about whether fruit pie is good or bad. Fruit pie, as in pies made with fruit? Exactly. Okay, like an apple pie. Any fruit pie, right. But apple pie, cherry sure, pie, sure. Okay. yes. Mike believes hot fruit is disgusting and should never happen. That is his strong, strong belief. And I believe fruit pie is delicious. So we, and I'm right, correct? Oh, you're right. Please. So we had t-shirts made and my (laughs) t-shirt said fruit pie is delicious. And his t-shirt says hot fruit is disgusting. People have been arguing about that. It's funny, you know, not to not to get back to what I do, mm. but the Baseball 100 came out and I and I promised people if they pre-ordered the book, I would inscribe anything they wanted in yeah. the book. So I did hear a lot of my catchphrases because people wanted me to sign oh, that's the book awesome. with like, yeah, fruit pie is delicious or thank you for having me, Joe, or some crazy thing like that. I love that. Wow, that's awesome. I would like you to inscribe your book to me with one of my catchphrases. That's what I would like my inscription to say. <laughs> well, which, which catchphrase am I sending it to? I'm know, doing this for you. <laughs> you. You have a catchphrase. Come on. I have some that in my personal life people associate with me. Like, who's to say? That's one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who's to say. Who's to say is a wonderful phrase. I love it. I have this belief we should all talk the way they did in the 1920s and 30s. Oh, yeah? Just like you I know, love just that. when you're at a baseball game or a football game mm-hmm. and you want to cheer, you yell out hooray. Like, hooray! like, like it was the old yes. yeah. hooray mm-hmm. or hip hip hooray. You know, That's just like great. fully. So I think who's to say is sort of a just a wonderful I love it. You know, it's such a it's it ends all conversations, which <laughs> is, is really great. The ultimate conversation stopper, especially if you're going around in circles and there's no answer. Who's to say? That's right. That's right. Somebody just like, oh, you're arguing about whether Mad Men was better than, right. than The Wire or whatever. Right. And then it's like, who's to say? Who's and then that's say? it. It's over. Like, <laughs> let's move on. The end. I couldn't agree more. So, okay, tell me this. Speaking of the pie thing, I'm wondering if it's this. What's the tiniest hill you're willing to die on? I'm willing to die on <laughs> tiny hills Let me everywhere. Hear it. That's, a, that's <laughs> my life. All right. So my latest tiny hill yeah. is I am utterly 
certain that the correct lyric in mm. Bruce Springsteen's Thunder Road yep. is Mary's dress waves. Okay. And the argument is that he actually says Mary's dress sways. Okay. And Springsteen himself, this has actually become a little bit of an internet thing. Mm. And Springsteen and his manager have come out and said officially it is sways. Oh. And I think he's wrong. I, I am willing to die really? on the hill that Bruce Springsteen is wrong about his own song that okay. he wrote because it's Mary's dress waves. I okay. know it's waves. So let me ask you this. Do you think the explanation for this is that when he wrote and recorded it, he wrote, recorded, and sang it as waves and has since forgotten? Yes. No, I'm 100%. In fact, there is now, and just yesterday I saw this, there is uh, an auction of the original lyrics that he wrote. And in the original lyrics, it's waves, which is, which is, which is correct. And I have a friend who I have been arguing this for, you know, 20 years. And I sent it to him and he said, well, apparently Bruce has forgotten over the last 46 years what he wrote. And I'm like, that's right. He has forgotten. 46 years is a long time. I would absolutely forget. Wow, that's fascinating. But that piece that was up for auction, does he not know that that someone should send that to him? Well, apparently he's written in other ways. He's written sways. Mm, It's Okay, Joe, the plot thickens. You didn't tell me that. I don't know now. I was really with you. And now (laughs) new evidence has come to light. And I myself am starting to sway. You might be swaying. I see you swaying. I'm swaying. I think on the original album liner notes, it was waves. Look, here's the thing. And this is why this is why it's the tiniest hill I'm willing to die yes. on. The correct answer is waves. It doesn't matter <laughs> if Bruce is like thinks it's not. I see. It's a better lyric uh-huh. with Mary's dress waves. It's okay. a better lyric. That's the writer in me saying, yeah. no, Bruce, you're wrong about your own song that you wrote that has sold 70 million copies. That's yeah, right. I think so. I've actually never heard this song. So I'm going to have to listen to the song and get back to you on what I believe, but I'm inclined to believe you because it sounds like you've really honestly put a lot of thought into this. <laughs> Way too much thought. This is what I do. I, I once wrote a very long breakdown of the Snuggies commercial. Oh my God. You remember Snuggies? Yes. Yes, everybody does. Wrote that it was the most perfect commercial ever made was the original Snuggies commercial. That was whatever, 15 years ago, whenever that crazy thing came out. And I still have people coming up to me and talking to me about Snuggies. So yeah, I'm willing to die on every hill. I there's there's no hill small enough that I won't die on it. That's great. You know what? Life is short, take a stand. Wear a Snuggie. <laughs> well, I want to know what yours is. What is your smallest hill? It's harder for me to find tiny hills because ultimately, <laughs> who's to say? <laughs> you know, that's kind of how I feel. There are things that I feel very passionately about. I don't often really go to bat for things that are small. Yeah, you're big hill. Yeah, I have big hills. I care deeply about things for my own life. For example, I only write with one type of pen. But I would never challenge somebody who said their pen was better because maybe it's better for them. Great. Thrilling. But you're not switching. No. No. So that is a a tiny hill. You're just not fighting the tiny hill. You're just basically on the tiny hill and people want to fight you. You're like, I'm not fighting. I'm sorry. I'm sitting peacefully (laughs) atop the hill, cross-legged, happily writing with my Muji 0.5 black tip pen. I own 25 of them. I also keep all of the empty ones because I have this plan (laughs) because they look gorgeous. And my plan is one day I'm going to make an end table 
where all of the empty oh. pens are are like glued to the top and then I'm going to cover it with glass or with resin and then glass. And I think that will be the coolest piece of furniture in my house. That's my plan. Cause I write I by hand. I love this and think of all of the words. Yes. That table will represent. I mm -hmm. love that. Yeah. So that's why I keep all the empty ones. I do so much handwriting that I go through a bunch of pens and I'm like, this table, <laughs> I can't wait. Someday I'm going to have enough. It's probably going to have to be a coffee table so that I can make it in this lifetime. That's okay. That works. And then people will be like, cool table. And I'll be like, oh, this old thing. And then I'll tell the story <laughs> and they'll be like, she is so creative. That's exactly what they're going to say. And then they're going to say, why would you do something I like this? And you will say, who's to say? I couldn't possibly tell you. Okay, so tell me this, Joe. Is there a song that whenever you hear it takes you back in time? A song that takes me back in time. Well, I'm old. <laughs> Everybody's old. Everybody's old, but I'm older. Songs take me back to lots of different things. I mean, if I hear a Pearl Jam song, it'll take me back to just, you know, my years after college or oh, yeah. whatever. But there is one crazy thing that did this. There, There's a John Cougar song. This is okay. before he became John Cougar Mellencamp, which, by the way, you might not have heard of him either. I have definitely heard of John Cougar Mellencamp. <laughs> I did not know that he was the artist formerly known as John Cougar. Formerly known as John Cougar, yeah. The Mellencamp thing came later, and nobody mm. really understood why okay. he did that. But I guess it worked for him. Okay. But he did a song, and I believe it's even a remake, called Ain't Even Done With The Night. Okay. That came out in like sometime in like the late 70s mm. or early 80s or something. And I don't like that song particularly, but whenever it plays, it does transport me precisely to a single moment of my childhood. Really? Yeah. And it's weird because like normally that would be like the songs that I love, but I've, I've noticed that because it's, it's happened to me two or three times. I'd never play that song. I yes. mean, like I don't have it on any of my playlists or whatever. Sure. Some weird thing will happen that I'll hear that song. I very distinctly remember exactly. I probably was... 14 or 15 years old, and I was selling newspapers door to door, which, by the way, now that I'm saying that out loud, that is like somebody saying, oh, yeah, I used to be a milkman or something. <laughs> like, like, that could not be more outdated than selling newspapers. <laughs> Can I ask a quick question about this? I didn't know that newspaper door-to-door -door salesman was a job, but I knew that like newspaper distribution <laughs> via bicycle. Yes. Is that what we're talking about? No, no. I did deliver newspapers. Okay. That's the newspaper delivery thing. But this was literally back when newspapers were kind of the only thing going. Yeah. You would go to the doors and offer like a special deal to like <gasps> to buy the newspaper, you know? So I would literally knock on doors. I was a door-to-door -door salesman for newspapers. Wow. Not for very long. I wasn't good at it. But I remember that song mm -hmm. puts me in the car. I was with like three or four other people. It was like some weird Oliver Twist type thing where like okay. they had like three or four kids and they're taking <laughs> us out to sell newspapers door to door. Oh really weird. That is bizarre. It's bizarre. <laughs> it gets more bizarre as I think about it. And we were in the car and it was a just a really warm summer day. It was me and another guy and two girls. And that song came on and like the car, like the guy who was who was taking us, he loved that song and he like yeah. turned it up and, and the car was rocking. And every single time I hear that song, I, I am, I'm 15 again. Like wow. that's the one song that does it for me. Yeah. 
And it brings you right back to that car with the newspapers. Right back to the car with the newspaper and the girls and 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 him yelling at me because I was the worst of the bunch selling <laughs> oh, no. papers. My sales technique in general, even to this day, was I would go to the door and I'd say, hi, I'm I'm selling Charlotte Observers. And they'd be like, I'm not interested. And I'd be like, OK. And I would just leave. Like, yeah. that was like, like they made it pretty clear they didn't want it. And, you know, of course, that's not how you sell things, no. I guess. <laughs> I give up very quickly. <laughs> You should probably not do sales and tech. I would not recommend you having another act no. in your career where you do tech sales. No. You will not enjoy it. No. Okay, so Joe, two-part question for you. First part, who would play you in a movie about your life? And second part, Ooh. should this be a biopic? So birth to present day, or is there a particularly exciting, fascinating chapter of your life that you think would make a great movie? All right. So the person who would play me in the movie, I have been told is is Paul Giamatti. I've been told that he's such a good actor. I love him. He's such him. a good actor, right? Yes. And he's got a little bit of a baseball connection because his father was Bart Giamatti, who was the uh, commissioner of baseball. I did not know that. Now I know that fact. His father was a legendary academic. He was president of Yale and, and was uh, the commissioner of baseball and has written books. And so there's a connection there. But I've been told, I don't think I look like Paul Giamatti mm. or, or much more to his benefit. I don't think he looks like me, but there's there's a vibe he puts off that multiple people have said, if you ever had a movie made, Paul Giamatti should play you. Well, he just shaved his beard, I think. I actually had one person who said, you know who should play you in a movie is Nicolas Cage. And oh. I just thought... I don't see what? that at all. Like that's. I don't I either. Say, I would definitely like, think Paul Giamatti over Paul. Like he's my close personal friend. Yeah, I think I, I'll call Paul. I'll, <laughs> let me give him a call. I'll shoot him a quick text. You're there in New York. Just give Paul a call and I find out what's going around. on. He's around. Like I'm sure I could just bump into him. They're always filming billions. I'm always seeing signs exactly. for we're filming billions. I'll just loiter and then I'll be like Paul, and I'll, I, I have a great Paul. opportunity for you. And then I'll use my sales yeah. technique. And we'll get him. You'll bring me in to close the deal. And I'll say, Paul, I hear you're interested. And he's like, no. And I'll be like, okay. And I'll move on. And that's how that'll end. It'll be, it'll be over end. in a second. Assuming that we do get him, should it be a biopic? Or is there a particular chapter that we should zone in on? There is a chapter uh, of my life. And, and and I will admit this is a little bit self-serving. But, but it's true. I'm, the first book I ever wrote was a book called The Soul of Baseball. And in it, I traveled around the country with a man named Buck O'Neill, who was a, a great player in the Negro Leagues and mm -hmm. a manager in the Negro Leagues mm -hmm. before Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier. Yeah. And he was the most extraordinary person, you know, other than my father I've, I've ever met wow. uh, and mother, both yes. of them, had every reason to be bitter in life. Mm -hmm. You know, he was a guy who, who didn't get to go to Sarasota High School because of his color didn't get to play in the major leagues managing, but he had literally no bitterness in him. He wow. was just the most hopeful, warm person you'll ever meet hmm. in the world. So traveling the country with him for the book, like I did, it was life-changing for me. Wow. I have thought in my mind if that that would make a cool movie, the relationship that I yes. had with Buck O'Neill. And in my mind, I had I had Morgan Freeman playing Buck. I okay. had that in my mind. Great. And and then Paul Giamatti playing me. Wait, that's an incredible film. Okay, we've already cast <laughs> the two leading roles in the movie. So we're like, what is that? Like 80% of the way there to getting this movie made? 80% of the work. I, I'm thinking uh, 
Studios call immediately at this point. Don't First you think? of all, I can only imagine that they're listening right now to my podcast. Of so we're probably both going to get blown up hugely after this airs by all of the movie clamoring sure. for the title. But I think that also the soul of baseball is a great name for a movie. It is. You're right. Soul of baseball is a very cool movie name. And I think it would be awesome. I think there's an, a great movie there. Yeah. The cool adventures that we went on and, and the way that being around him changed mm-hmm. the way I view the world. You know, I, I think it made a pretty good book. I hope it did. I'm ready for the movie right now. Let's I'm do also it. ready for the movie. I would definitely watch that movie, especially now that we've cast it. And also, therefore, I think I get like a producer credit technically or something. Well, I'm thinking you, I you are a producer points. on this thing. Yes, I'm a producer. <laughs> I've got points on the back end. Big Hollywood, baby. Let's go. I'm ready. <laughs> Let's do this thing. Let's do it. Okay, so what is the most memorable gift that you've ever received or given? So I am, and I say this modestly, Yes, a really good gift giver. Really? Like I'm really, yes. Like if, like if I had a talent, it's that. It's like really? that's the, that's, yeah, I'm really, really good. Because here's the thing, and this is, this is just true. I have like a weird memory, okay? okay. So my memory for names is terrible, terrible. Really? Like okay. I would be the worst Jeopardy person ever Mm -hmm. because I would know the answer to some of the questions, but I would never be able to get it out. I'd be like, what is, what is, who is, you know, the guy that was in the thing? Like, that's me. That my, my family makes fun of me all the time. So I have a terrible memory for that, but I have an amazing memory for details about people. Like I have memories of you that you would probably be surprised that I remember. I really remember things about people. What kind of stuff do you remember about them? They'll tell me a story about something that they, you know, did or some person that they met or some event that they attended or something. Yeah. And I'll remember it. And for forever. Hey, I see how this is helpful for gift giving. It it is. So then it comes times to gift and it's like, oh, well, what do you get them? And I'm like, you know what? I think that person is a really, really big Bob Dylan fan. And then there's a new Bob Dylan gift set out or something, or I know somebody who who knows something about Bob Dylan that I I used to say, and this is not going to be true of this podcast, Hmm. sadly, but If I met somebody, if I meet somebody and spend time with them, I will walk away knowing more about them than they know about me. Really? That is just, that's been a constant in my life. Now, look, that's part of being a reporter, I think, part of being a, a journalist. But it's also just part of my personality. I'm I'm not interested in me at mm. all. I'm very interested in mm-hmm. other people. So yes, yeah, so I'm a really good gift giver. But I'm now I'm trying to think of what would be like the best gift that I've given people. Okay, so now I know the answer. The oh, answer, boy, the greatest gift go. that I ever. No, because it because it's it's something that has been tied to my life. I took my daughter, my oldest daughter, who is now in college, mm-hmm. to see Hamilton oh, when yes. Hamilton was yes. at its very peak, mm-hmm. very very peak. I mean, this is when the original cast was there. Yep. When it was it was after like the early days when people were beginning to figure it out, uh-huh. but before it became the phenomenon yes. that it became. So it was the perfect time to see it. And she was having a really rough year. She That was when she was in the eighth grade. Mm-hmm. We had some health things that we were going through and some mm-hmm. other stuff. And all she wanted was to see Hamilton. Yeah. And it cost me so much money. I can't even begin to describe. <laughs> Somebody asked me to speak and I don't do that that much. Yeah. Like I get asked a lot to come yeah. and speak places. 
I don't do that that much. I don't like being away. But somebody asked me to speak and they were offering me a pretty big fee. And I thought, yeah. well, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to so I can oh buy those God, Hamilton This will get me to Hamilton. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. That's so sweet. And it was the night of her life. I mean, she'll never forget it and I'll never forget it. And uh, I ended up writing about it and That's it became right. this huge, huge thing. And then Lin-Manuel Miranda reached out after I wrote oh. it, which was an unbelievable thing. So, yeah, I mean, it was... It was definitely the best gift I've ever given. I remember reading that piece. So incredible. And then I think something that he wrote in the response was maybe that he was reading it from the dressing room or something like that or backstage. Was that it? The night that it came out, he tweeted to me and to my daughter. Mm. Basically, I'm sitting here in tears. Oh. Thank you for this, you know. And then, of course, then it blew up and then he wrote it to, to us again. I mean, it was so just amazing. So, yeah, so it was a double gift. It was the, the gift of going, but then also... Also the gift of connecting with Lin-Manuel, which was uh, obviously incredible. Oh my God, you must, that's like a super dad moment. Like you were super dad. <laughs> I've told her many times since then when she has complained about me, I'm like, oh, you know, I did get you to Hamilton. Yeah, I mean, it's like, how many years did that buy you though? I feel like at this point we're going to have forever. to- you think? Forever and ever? Well, no, it doesn't. It literally bought Clearly me three not. days. Yeah. He was, so, you know, it, it didn't buy me anything. But I believe it should be a lifetime get out of jail free card. I think That's what I, I understand. Think. Okay, so <laughs> if you were kidnapped, but you had the chance to communicate with your family and friends and needed to secretly let them know that something was wrong, what would you say? Wow, there's there's so many options. But I would say hot fruit is disgusting. They would know immediately that I was, <laughs> was going to say. They, would they know that or would just Michael Sher know? that. No, no. Ev everybody knows. Okay. In fact, I couldn't do that because the people who the kidnapped me probably would know, would know that. <laughs> yeah. They, they probably listen to the podcast just to get some background on yes, me to make okay, sure. Yeah. Point. Oh, there's so many things I could say. I could say, oh, I hope the Yankees win tonight. That would definitely get people to like, oh, okay, no. Well, I could say Mary's dress sways. I could say oh, that. Yes. That would definitely. Yes. Your one friend especially would know. They'd come pick you up He right would away. know. Yes. I'm not sure actually my wife would know. She, I think she would, but but it wouldn't be the most obvious thing sure. in the world. But I mean, with them, I could literally just say something like, hey, I really want to get out of here so we can go to a party because they know how much I hate parties. Oh, so hate like parties. they would immediately know that okay. there was something wrong. Yeah. Are there any kind of parties you do like or is it just a blanket? No parties. I'm good in close environments with close friends, like in, like in small groups with friends, I'm very outgoing in this. Mm -hmm. But if I'm in a group of people that I don't know, yeah. I'm, I shut down. I, I'm not good mm. in those environments. I'm, What's the cutoff number? Like four or five? I think rather than a number, it would be the percentage of people I know versus the percentage of people I don't know. Sure. So in other words, if, if we were in a group with 10 yes. people, but I knew six of them, then I'd be fine. Like the four who I didn't know. But if I was in a group with 10 people and I only knew two of them, I'd be a little bit shaky. I imagine you're great in environments where you're around people you don't know. Oh yeah. I love it. I love it because I like yeah. getting to know what people's deal is. It's interesting earlier what you said about walking away from a conversation, knowing more about the other person. It's something that I really try to do is to yeah. actively learn more because it's so easy for me to talk that I try to not <laughs> do it. <laughs> but that's got to be hard for you. It is I hard. mean, no, because doing stand-up, you're not finding out anything about anybody. They're only finding out about you, right? I know. It's true. And I have a podcast, actually. And also, I write jokes on the internet and I make comedy videos. And so by the time I'm talking to somebody new, I'm like... 
Tell me about your life. Like, what do you do? Tell me facts about you, please, please. I can't talk about myself for one single second longer. See, if any of my friends were listening to this, they'd be like, that's bullshit. Alexis can talk about herself all day. (laughs) But luckily, none of my friends listen to the podcast. So we're fine. (laughs) That's how that works. That's how that works. Do any of your friends listen to your podcast? My wife does not listen to my podcast. I mean, (laughs) friends do, but my wife does not. My kids don't. Sure. So my wife used to, when we very first started, my wife Mm. produced the podcast. She did. Yeah, she produced it. And she did that for a little while. Then she's like, you and Mike... You just spend the whole podcast giggling. I don't. I don't even like. <laughs> like what? What am, what am I even listening to? I just stop. That's stop so doing funny. this and stop. So she doesn't listen. My kids only listen if I have a super cool guest. They're they're not. Mm. Most of the stuff that we talk about is sports sort of adjacent. I mean, yeah. it's not really a sports podcast, but it's but it's sports adjacent for sure. Mm-hmm. Some of them are very very nerdy sports. Most of them are just all over the place. But if I have a cool guest like Flula. Yeah. Then they'll listen. Oh. <laughs> like they'll, they'll listen. Yeah. 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 So then great. they'll be like, oh, yeah, now I want to listen. If you that's were awesome. on, they would listen. But but if it's some sports person or if it's just sure. me and Mike gabbing, they're like, nah, not interested. <laughs> they're like, no. Do you always have guests on that talk about sports? No, no. We've had people on there who have talked about everything. I mean, we, you know, most people want to talk about sports when sure. they come on because because it's, you know, it's fun to do. But I mean, we've yeah. had like on our podcast, we draft stupid things like this, is, this has been our thing for 10 years yeah so we draft like kitchen utensils oh my or God. that's epic we had a draft numbers between one and ten and we argue oh we get into these huge ferocious arguments of course we drafted sandwiches one time we drafted office supplies and we had Jeff Garland on oh my god that's awesome he's great yeah to draft office supplies and we were like drafting like hole punchers and like staplers and and he's like i draft paper yeah he's (laughs) like i draft paper and it's like okay okay you get and then he's like i draft pens i'm like this is boring but then he he's like well i've got all the paper in the world and i've got all the pens in the world what are you gonna hold punch what are you gonna do and we were like that's not how this works and then (laughs) one of us tried to draft like notebooks and he's like no notebooks are paper and we're like no they're not and he left. He literally was so mad. He just quit the podcast <laughs> oh right in the middle. God, so I love that. Yeah. So yeah. So we don't always talk sports. No, we we talk stupid things all the time. I told people in my life that I'm close to. I said, "You are all absolved from li- the responsibility of listening to my show because you hear me talk in real life. You get this for right. real. What well, you don't have to listen <laughs> to this recorded. I have a couple close friends who listen, and I'm literally like, I love you for supporting me, but like, you don't need to do this. <laughs> like, it's let other people who don't. <laughs> who are not already exposed to this all the time. Listen to me talk for 45 minutes every week. We'll sometimes get a response like from a friend mm. who'll be like, oh, I heard you and Mike talk about this and this. And I'm like, what are you doing with your life, man? I mean, just like, like, please find, yes. there's so many more constructive things you could be doing than listening to me and Mike talk about nothing. It's I ridiculous. It. I don't know. Honestly, that's hysterical. I would love to hear you guys draft <laughs> completely random things. You need to come on just because we also have do segments and we do segments of like the stupidest things. And we have little music for each love of our it. segments. Yes, that's awesome. We have a segment called Fruit Talk where every week we talk about fruit and what the latest innovations in fruit are, you know? So 
Yeah, so we'll just talk about, you know, like uh, a fruit talk episode. It'll be like five minutes of us rambling about how upset we are that you cannot keep raspberries fresh. That's deeply upsetting. It's deeply upsetting. Raspberries are the most delicious fruit but they're only good for like 48 seconds. It's 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 not right. There's like a window. There's and avocados are the same way too. There's like a you get like yes. 20 minutes. You literally could be like these raspberries are perfect and then yeah. you could get a phone call and come back and <laughs> they're know. done and they're like, "Oh my god, they're already wasted." Yeah. Well, I'm more terrible. than happy anytime you want to talk about nonsense, man, am I your girl. <laughs> okay, Joe, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. This episode of Non-Technical is still brought to you by me. You've heard of self-love, self-compassion, and self-care, but have you heard of self-sponsorship? If you can't sponsor yourself, how the hell are you going to get sponsored by somebody else, right? I think that's what RuPaul was talking about. Anyway, you can sign up for my email list at bit.ly slash hello from Alexis to stay tuned for upcoming stand-up shows and other exciting announcements. That's bit.ly slash hello from Alexis. And we're back with Joe Posnanski, author of the New York Times bestseller, The Baseball 100. Joe, we've arrived at a very exciting moment in this episode of Non-Technical. Are you ready? I'm ready. I don't know if I'm ready. I'm, I, I'm, I'm acting like I'm ready, but yes. That's good. Say yes. We're saying yes to life today. We've arrived at the lightning round. I love it. Okay, let's do it. Coffee or tea? Coffee. How do you take it? I, I kind of like mocha. I kind of like, uh, <laughs> like, just, just, I, like, I just, I love I just like going into Starbucks and getting my mocha. No, because I don't have like a, if somebody says, do you want coffee? I'm like, no, I kind of want a mocha. I don't really want a a coffee. Uh, But tea is gross. Okay, let's unpack. Tea is disappointing. Tea is a disappointment to me. I've never once been not disappointed by tea. No, tea is gross. Look, the thing about tea is there are moments in my life when I'm feeling a little bit sick or this and I'm like a hot cup of tea yes. is what this moment requires. Yes. And then my wife is a huge tea, you know, she's a tea head. She's just like tea a tea coffee household. Very interesting. I know. So, well, she's mm-hmm. a coffee person too. So we don't okay. have many fights about that. Thank God. But she loves tea and she has like a million different kinds of tea. Yeah, of course. And, you know, she's like, oh, well, what flavor do you want? Do you want the Earl Grey? Do you want the this? Do you want the this? And I'm like, I don't care. I don't feel great. Just give me yeah. some tea. And I got to tell you, they all taste the same and they all taste gross. I, I just am not a tea person. I get all. you. I force myself to drink tea anyway, and I don't know why. That's something we should unpack. I think it's because there's a set of things in this world that I, for some reason, ascribe value to. And I wish I was the type of person who appreciated certain things. If I was someone who really enjoyed a cup of tea, I think that would make me a better person. <laughs> Like, I think if I knew how to cook, I think that that would make me a better person. (laughs) And so there are things that I wish I could say yes to. I wish I could say yes to certain things. And so I think tea is just one that I've tried to force on myself for a long time. Yeah, see, I think the cooking thing makes a lot more sense to me than the tea thing, to be honest (laughs) with you. The thing thing is, like, if we were in London and and then it's like, oh, everybody's having tea. You want to be joining them for tea time. Tea time seems cool. And I love the cookies, the little tea. Tea time is great. You know what? This raises a great point. First of all, there's a time and a place for tea. Let's say it. And then second of all, you know when I love a tea is a hot toddy. Yes. Okay. I could see that. Lemon, cloves, bourbon in the tea. It's really the bourbon. I do think the bourbon is carrying the bulk of the load in that scenario. I'll be honest with you. But it makes for a great cup of tea. I'll have a hot toddy anytime. That is honestly Alexis Gay going... 
I want bourbon, but the, I can't just take a straight bourbon right now. It's morning. I, so I'm at a hot toddy. That's going to, that's going to work. I love it. Okay. So hot toddies next time we're in person, we've decided. Fantastic. Um, yes. Do you have a favorite board game? Yeah, we play a lot of board games. This is going to be so boring. So we actually drafted, I told you we do these stupid drafts. Love we it. actually drafted board games once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which was really funny because we have a friend, a mutual friend, Mike and I do, who is a board game fanatic. Like yeah. he goes to the national board game, you know, the, whatever board con is or whatever, and knows everything. So we, we were choosing board games. He was so embarrassed because it's mm. like it was, we were choosing like the most, like Monopoly or something, yeah. you know, and it's just really, it's really bad. There's a board game, and I'm not going to remember the name of it, that we found that this guy told us about. And it's okay. like a, it's like a train game. It's like a, a board game with trains. Oh, Ticket to Ride? Ticket to Ride. You know yeah. what? That's really fun to play. That's yeah. Fun. Are you a board game person? Again, would love to say yes. Okay, so I do love a board <laughs> game, but it's situational. Like the tea, okay. it's situational, which is I would love to sit down with people who I really love and play a board game, but yet I don't. Yeah. I haven't played a board game in who knows how long. Months. It's been months. So can I really say I'm a board game person? I don't know. Also, I'm very busy. And so I find that there's lots of things that I want to say that I do, but I'm like, when would I do that? I said to someone recently that I would love to bake more. When? I'm sorry. When am I doing that? I guess I could have some muffins in the oven right now and then pick them up after the pod. But like, sincerely, I don't know when I'm supposed to be doing all these things that people are doing. I really don't. I know. Well, that's the thing. Look, we've got it worked out. Next time we get together. Yes. Hot toddies. Yes. Ticket to ride. We're just, we're uh, just, we're just playing a board to ride, games. Muffins in the oven. We're good. This is going to be a great oh, day. Honestly. It's going to be a great day. <laughs> I can't wait. Okay. Tell me this. Have you ever read a book twice? Oh, many times. Many, many times. I, in fact, most of the books I love, I've read multiple, multiple times. Oh, really? Times. What sticks out as one that you've really gone to? Well, the one again? that sticks out is, is, is the Harry Potter series because oh, yeah. I read it three times. I read yep. it. The first time, then yeah. I read it to my daughter, and then I read it to my other daughter. Um, so that's whatever. That's seven books, eight, seven books, Yeah, that's right? a lot. And that's a lot of books. So that's 21 uh, times that I've read that and probably read it uh, other times as well. But if I love a book, there's a pretty good chance I'll read it multiple mm. times. A lot of times I'll read it and love it, and then I'll read it again a few years later to see if it still has the same magic that it did the original. And sometimes it does. And sometimes it doesn't. It's like I've seen every movie that I love multiple times. It's interesting because for me, it's, I love, so specific to reading, yeah. I love piecing together how they do it. You know, it's uh, like, it's yeah. like the plot twists and the surprise are fine. Mm. And, and I, I do like that, but I like reading the words and seeing how they come together and thinking about what the author was thinking about. So I guess that's the probably the writer in me that, that, yes, that pulls that out. That makes sense. Do you have a pump-up song? Do I have a pump-up song? No, but, but here's a weird one for you. Whenever yeah. I write a book, I play the music that I associate with that book. Oh. Yeah. When I wrote Soul of Baseball, I literally listened to nothing except for 1920s, 1930s, and 1940s jazz. Oh, wow. Because that was at the heart of the yes, book. Yes. And so, and each title is actually a different classic jazz song. 
And so I just listened to Count Basie and Charlie mm-hmm. Parker and and Ella Fitzgerald and not just jazz, but but that kind of music, Billie Holiday. When I wrote a book about the 1975 Cincinnati Reds, which was yeah. my second book, I listened to nothing but 1975 disco the entire oh, really? time. Yeah, I had a playlist of about 50 songs from 1975, and that's all I listened to. So, so I love using music to try to get into the mood of what I'm sure. supposed to be thinking about as a writer. I don't write listening to music. Like, I'd never do that. Really? I, it's, it's always, yeah, never. It's like I, most of the time I listen to music in the car or mm. I just take a an hour or something and I'm just resting and I'm listening to music uh, at that time. That's awesome. I don't like having music on when I'm writing. I find it distracting. I've heard that before. Well, this is kind of a tough question for you because you are a writer. It's also my final question for you, but what would you title your memoir? Probably Fruit Pie is Delicious, I think would be probably the title. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that good? I think that's sort of at the heart. This is not a fair assessment of the question. I don't think I'd ever write a memoir. I was actually going to ask. I don't know that you would, it sounds like. No, I don't think so. Look, I I write so much personal stuff now. Yes. And, you know, there's always this, this thought. I've written so much about my family and mm-hmm. the experiences with them. And people are like, oh, you ought to write a book about that. I'm like, mm. I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Like, When I wrote the Crazy Baseball 100, which is 880 pages of of baseball nonsense, you know, uh, the 100 greatest players, it's so long. It's 300,000 words. It's longer than Moby Dick. They are actually selling it as it being longer than Moby Dick. That's amazing. When I wrote it, I kind of saw it as a little bit of a a memoir in, Mm. in a lot of ways. I mean, it's, there's so much in here of, of myself and why I love baseball and what, you know, what I've thought about. So I think that's what I would do as a memoir. Like the memoir I would do would be telling stories through other people. I, I don't like, you know, doing that for myself. I don't know. You've asked the question a million times. What What is your answer? What is, what is the, what is the title of your memoir? Oh gosh. I don't, I don't know. I, I can't, I don't know that I would write a memoir. <laughs> no, but you could, and you would be called Who's to Say. It would be called Who's to Say. <laughs> Who's to Say by Alexis Gay. <laughs> I love it. I've written six books, and other than the Baseball 100, which was, which I, I had in my mind from the start, sure. every one of these books was so hard to come up with a title. I yes. came up with one that I like, and then somebody else didn't like it, and then they would suggest something, and I didn't yes. like it, and yes. we would go back and forth and back and forth on this thing. Trying to sum up something that that's that meaningful to you mm. uh, in just a couple of words and you don't want it to be long. Like I see these super long titles and it's like- uh, With colons and everything and subtitles and it's like- <laughs> You have no shot. In fact, my second book is called The Machine. It's about the mm-hmm. big red machine mm-hmm. and uh, the 75 reds. And But it's actually a title I don't know because it's like the machine, a rollicking wild year of blah, blah. I mean, it's like some yeah. unbelievably long <laughs> right. subhead that I didn't remember writing and I don't even know what it says. Well, it and, sounds uh, like- I got one. You know what? If you don't remember writing that, I think that adds further credibility to your argument that Bruce Springsteen <laughs> just doesn't remember writing waves. Exactly. There we go. Exactly. It People are going to say to me, like, you actually wrote this. And I'd be like, I think you're wrong. I'm pretty sure I wrote this. 
and I'll be the one that's wrong. So yes, it is Mary's Dress Waves. Maybe that would be the title of my- Mary's Mary's Dress Dress Waves. Waves. That's another good one. Oh my God. Okay, these books are titling themselves. Joe, it has been such an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. Where can people find more about you and your incredible writing? I'm out there. Uh, You can go to (laughs) JoePosnanski.com. Yeah, you'll find me if you want to find me. Sales time, Joe. Come on, you got this. Give us the pitch. Where can we read the books? You can find me at JoePosnanski.com. I'm on Twitter at JPosnanski. And then the book, The Baseball 100, Mm -hmm. you can find it anywhere. It's really ridiculous that this 500 page, 500, I wish, 900 page baseball book is, uh, it's it's a tome and it's everywhere. So you can find it literally and obviously on Amazon, but your local bookstore, Barnes and Noble, Books A Million, Target, uh, Walmart, wherever. It's it's available everywhere. I can't wait for the first time that I see it in the wild. I'm excited about that. And you'll have one on your shelf. If you have a shelf big enough. I, d- I yes. honestly, I will make a shelf just to, ho- I'll get some extra supportive, <laughs> what do you, studs? I, what, I don't know how to do things, but someone who knows how to do things will make sure that the bookshelf is not going to fall down. <laughs> I'll watch a YouTube tutorial. <laughs> and you can find me at Gay on Twitter and Instagram or at non-technicalpod on Twitter. Joe, this was such a pleasure. One more time, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks, Alexis. This was great. It was great. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. 